You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Over in the epistle of John, John's gospel, John's letter, as we look second week at the subject of love, love, grateful for the holiday coming up on Tuesday where love will be in the air, if not, but for just a few moments. I do hope you remember that Valentine's Day is Tuesday. This particular month, and if you're visiting today, we always make sure that each sermon kind of stands on its own, even if we're in a series. But we're looking at the theme all throughout the month of February of what's love got to do with it. What's love got to do with it? Specifically looking at our spiritual DNA. If, if I were to bleed a drop of blood on this carpet this morning and the forensics were to come in there and, and get that and send it off, that blood would be unique to me and me alone. I'd be the only person in this town, this state, this nation, or this world with that particular DNA. And Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room just hours before his death that their spiritual DNA would connect them back to him. The Bible says this, John chapter number 13, you're familiar with the passage, Jesus getting ready to talk about going away and getting ready to talk about the mansion. He says, a new commandment, verse 34, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He said it twice, pretty important. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, last week we looked at vertical love. The love that God has for us coming down and the love that we reciprocate back to Him as we love Him. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. He sent love down, we send love back up. It's a vertical thing. This week we look at our spiritual DNA. Jesus says you will be identified with me. You will be known as my disciples when you have horizontal love. Love one for another. Just a few things this morning I'll share with you. I'm as excited as you about the baptism and what God's going to do there. But just a few thoughts on the subject, horizontal love. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, 1 John chapter number 4, our text for the day. Each week we'll go back to that John 13 passage to be reminded of our spiritual DNA. But each week also looking at one particular form of love. Now remember it's agape love that Jesus is talking about. Not brotherly love, not casual love, not sensual love. But godly love, passionate love that is from him that we might experience between one another. And the Bible says, 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 7, Beloved, beloved, he identifies his, his audience, it's us. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. In other words, love is the marker that we have through salvation. We have the ability to love as God is loved. Continue looking. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You might know somebody, and you might say, I don't think it's possible for them to express love. I've never seen love in their midst. I've never seen them know what love is about. Well, it might be they've never met the author of love. King Jesus, continue looking. In this verse 9, was manifest in the love of God toward us because 
that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, not that we came up with that whole idea, but the Bible says, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the replacement, the one who would take our place on the cross for our sins. Beloved, verse 11, our key verse, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Father, as we come into your presence, we do so praying for boldness and clarity and unction. God, that you'd speak to us and through us this morning, that you would yield, Lord, much through this time together as we study this subject that was so important to Jesus that he made it his very last theme of discussion. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. May I share with you just one word of Greek this morning. How many of you know Greek? How many of you know somebody who's Greek? Amen. They make good cooks, don't they? Well, the Bible says that there is something that we're to have in Christ. The Greek word is koinonia. It is literally fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about fellowship, Tommy, I think about a table spread with fried chicken and green bean and mashed potatoes and sweet tea and peach cobbler and ice cream. Mm-mm, sounds good to me. Now, that's, amen. Now, that's fellowship. But the fact of the matter is fellowship is more than eating a meal. Fellowship is more than coming together. Fellowship is more than attending the same church But fellowship is a family That meets together In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ With the common blood of Jesus Flowing through our veins Uniting us uh, Challenging us Inspiring us Cornelia fellowship It is between us and God And then us and one another. It is communion. It is being right with God and our fellow man. And koinonia, while it might not seem that significant in the big picture, it is both key and essential for church health. It is both key and essential for personal growth. That is that our faith would be growing, that our relationship would be solid, and that we would be growing not only in the understanding of God's word, but in the application of God's word. Our spiritual DNA, as I've already said, is the marker of our redemption. You may be here this morning and you may say, I grew up in a home void of love. I was never taught how to love. I was never taught how to hug my children or tell my wife how much I love her. That is a foreign concept to me. I've never witnessed it. Nobody ever taught me how to love. In John chapter number 13... Jesus says, I've spent the last three and a half years showing you and exemplifying love. I've demonstrated love on a daily basis. I've given you an example to follow. Now go, love one another as I have loved you. There is a challenge before us today to look to the word of God and esteem the love that God has for us. And notice how Jesus loved other people. He loved a tax collector even though everybody else hated him. He loved a Samaritan, though everybody else judged her. Jesus exemplified love every step of the way, even unto the very last step. Hanging upon Calvary's cross, he cried out, Father, I love them so much that I pray you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This morning, I want to share just three things with you about love. We could talk about love all day and all night and all day tomorrow and not even begin to cover it. But I believe there are three specific things that would help us, that would be very practical in our demonstrating love to one another on a daily basis. Number one, the Bible says that if we are to love as Christ, it is a patient 
love. It is a patient love. It is a love that is patient with people. It is a love that gets beyond people's, uh, you know, their abilities or their skills. And we, we learn to love people as Christ has loved us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this text. You know this particular passage. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly all about love. And many people call this chapter the love chapter of the Bible. If you've ever been to a wedding, probably had someone read this particular passage. In the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about no matter what we do in the name of Christ, if we're not doing it motivated by love, then we're just making racket. Then it's all for naught. And then the Bible says this. Love suffers long and it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not proud. Love does not puff itself up. Love does not behave itself inappropriately. Love does not seek after its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not think on evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things. Love endures all things. Everything else might fail, but love never fails. So what does patient love look like? In the Word of God, I believe that we see patience and the love of Christ modeled, number one, in our forgiveness. When we think about Christ, He constantly forgave people. He didn't look to people and say, you don't deserve my forgiveness. But He forgave them based purely on His love for them. We know the verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It is the only motivating force for everything that Christ did on this earth and what Christ did on the cross. He got nothing out of the deal. You say, well, He made a name for Himself. He made a name for Himself so that He could make a name for me and you, and it's the name of Christ, the name of a Christian. Patience modeled by forgiveness. Beloved, may I ask you today, Are we willing to unconditionally forgive people in our lives? If we truly love them, there's a mandate. We don't have a choice. We don't get to make up our own mind. We don't get to have a debate. We don't get to analyze it. The Bible says we must forgive if we desire to be forgiven. I want to tell you, I don't believe in a works-based salvation, but I'll tell you based on the authority of the Word of God that Jesus is very clear. When it comes to forgiveness, it's not all about us receiving forgiveness but about us giving forgiveness when it comes to the family of God I want to ask you this morning is there anything in your life marked by unforgiveness is there anything that you're holding on to a grudge the Bible says that we are to keep no record of wrongs in other words when someone does us wrong we don't have the right to hold on to it we don't have the right to write it down in our little black book and put it in our pocket that we can pull it out later and use it against them or we can pull it out later and read it and have a personal pity party but we have a mandate and a responsibility to forgive do you ever get in an argument maybe with your siblings Unless you grew up as an only child, you probably had arguments with your siblings. I mean, you probably fought and, and wrestled and, and called one another ugly names and tattletailed on one another and blamed the other. I mean, it can get kind of vicious, you know, around the house when you have multiple siblings. But at the end of the day, you get over it. At the end of the day, you put it behind you. At the end of the day, you keep on keeping on. Why? Because that's your brother or that's your sister. Two Sundays ago, I had the privilege of going up to Winston-Salem for a funeral. And it was a Moravian funeral. One of our members' sons had passed away. And it was a really neat experience. The Moravians do things in a big way. And, uh, but of all the things about the Moravian church, I think what impressed me the most was the bathrooms. 
Amen. The bathrooms. What in the world, preacher? Well, I'll tell you. Bathrooms are really interesting things because now everybody wants to cute with their bathrooms. You know, you go somewhere to a restaurant and you stand there and you look at the door and you're not sure if you're a bloke or a quoke or whatever it is and you're trying to figure it out. I, you know, and I did go someplace the other day and I knew I was a rooster because I want a hen. But anyway, but um, I think that was at the chicken place down in Lumberton. But anyway, um, but at this particular Moravian church, I'm glad y'all was with me. At this Moravian church, I went and they had the restrooms. And on one door, they had brethren. And on the other door, they had sister. And I thought, I know which one I'm to go in. I'm to go into the brethren door. But you know, even in their bathroom, they wanted to identify that that was the family of God, the brothers and sisters. Listen, when you're brothers and sisters, you get over yourself and you forgive one another. Patience is modeled through forgiveness. Number two, patience as modeled through forbearance. I want everybody to say that word with me, forbearance. That's probably the only time you'll ever say that word. It's not a word that you often use in conversation. In fact, you're not even sure what forbearance means. I'm going to give you the very quick definition of forbearance. It is to put up with people. It's just to put up with people. We have this, this assumption that when we become part of the family of God that everybody else is going to be perfect, that everything's going to go perfect, that everything's going to go my way, that, and all these things. And we have this idea that when it doesn't, we have the right to retaliate or we have the right to be frustrated or the right to be angry. But Jesus forbeared. The Bible says that we're to forbear one another, to we're there, that we're to live with patience with one another. That when people disappoint us, we realize it's okay. We disappoint him and he still loves us. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. You know what that means? It means when you and I wake up out of the bed and we put our foot, our foot on the ground, God doesn't say, listen, you remember everything you did wrong yesterday? I'm still remembering that. I'm still thinking on that. You better do really good today to make up for it. No, he forbears us. He puts up with us. He somehow, in spite of us, loves us even the more. When our children fail, I submit to you it's in their failures that we love them even the more. We are broken hearted for them. We are hurt for them. Angry, frustrated, yes. But when we find ourselves in that situation, we love them even the more. Do we forbear one another? Sometimes we just need to put up with one another. Sometimes we just need to walk away. Sometimes we just need to say, Lord, you know how it is in your own family? You go to mom and you say, brother did so-and-so. Your son did so-and-so. Your daughter did so-and-so. Sometimes we just need to look to the heavenly father and say, God, I'm so grateful that you love me in spite of me and that you taught me to love others in spite of them as well. Number two, forbearance. Number three, faithfulness. Now, don't miss this. We're to love people and be patient with them and it's modeled by our faithfulness. At the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about my feelings or your feelings, but it's about the kingdom work that can prevail when we love one another. Acts chapter 2, they love one another. The Bible said they had everything common. They were, the, the, the people that had more were selling everything and the people that had less were selling everything and they came together and they were absolute equals. I mean, they love one another. They were singing and worshiping and praising God and the preachers were preaching and people were getting saved. 3,000 souls were saved in one day and they got baptized. Isn't that awesome? Acts 2, 43 through 47. But if you fast forward to Acts chapter number 6, things are much different. They were murmuring amongst themselves. They were griping and complaining. The love that they had experienced in Acts chapter 2 seemed to be short-lived. And they became all about not him but them. And the Bible says that discord filled the church. 
when we're patient with people and we love people in spite of them and we put up with people and we get over the failures and we work together, it is a picture of the faithfulness of God that we realize there's something that we are trying to accomplish bigger than any one of us and it is kingdom work that he has for us to do. There is patient love. But number two, there's passionate love. Now, some of us are more passionate people than others. I like to be a very passionate person. I I love to have a lot of energy and and to be very fiery. I preached uh, somewhere on Monday night and and people were coming. I said, boy, you got a lot of energy. One guy walked up and he was a preacher and they can be some of the most critical people you've ever met. And this preacher walked up and he said, has anybody ever told you you talk fast? That'll bless your heart. You know what I did? I forbeared him. I mean, I didn't want to forbear him. I mean, you know, I won't, but anyway, but I forbeared him. Amen. What is the passionate love that we're to have for him? Now, think about this. Now, when we talk about passion, we think about energy and fire, but wait a minute. We're talking about love amongst the brotherhood, love amongst the sisterhood, love amongst the family of God. So, what does that look like? Oh, it's wonderful. Because I want to tell you, it's contagious. It's like, it's like a wildfire that starts from one little ember energy and it spreads from person to person, from class to class, from age group to age group and, and we become so very passionate. Think about this. Passionate love, it's ignited by a common advocate. It is ignited by a common advocate. Listen, friend, it doesn't matter how good the choir is, they can't ignite your passion. It doesn't matter how inspiring the preaching is, I cannot ignite your passion. Only the personal encounter with the Holy God Only the power of Almighty God swooping through your life that will ignite the fire. Now, if you're lost, it's through salvation. And and if you're saved and maybe kind of, you know, backslidden or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden there's that revival moment that the Holy Spirit of God truly gets a hold of you and ignites that passion. I'm thankful to know that we can have a common advocate who ignites the passion. You know, sometimes I'll watch the TV and I'll see out in in San Diego, David Jeremiah's church, and they're, they're so filled with passion. And maybe I'll turn it on and I'll see uh, Charles Stanley's church in, in, in Atlanta. And they're so filled with passion. I'm thinking, isn't that amazing? One side of the country, another side of the country, and they're filled with passion. Why? Because they have a common advocate. They may never meet one another. They may never be in one another's com- company. But they have a common advocate who ignites their passion. Number two, not only a common advocate that ignites, but a common spirit that inspires Now, here's the deal. If we're going to maintain a level of love, because I want to tell you, sometimes it gets tiring and sometimes it gets frustrating. And I know as long as I've been here, I pray every day that God would give me a fresh passion and a fresh vision and all of these kinds of things. If you've been married here for more than two or three years, you'd probably say, you know, there are times that I just just need a fresh charge. I just need, uh, you know, some time with my husband or wife that we can be alone and we can just, you know, maybe go on a trip together or something so that that fire can be ignited one again and, and, and the flames can be fueled once again we understand that and that's one of the reasons that we come to church week in and week out so the Holy Spirit of God can literally fan the flames of revival in our heart but together as the family of God we realize that we have a common spirit and when he is here and he is real we worship together and we praise him together and we exalt him together because there's passionate love that we have in common may I ask you something how's your passion I'm talking about between you and God. Between you and your spouse, we'll deal with that Friday night. But between you and God, how's your passion? How's your passion? Here's the danger. The danger is that God's people coast rather than give Him their most. 
coast rather than give him their most. That's very inviting. I'm on a, the, the director of mission search committee trying to find a new DOM for Bladen Baptist Association. And um, I've been very adamant that I want us to find a DOM with lots of energy, with passion. It doesn't matter if he's 20 or 80. I want somebody with passion. I want somebody with some fire in their bosom. I mean, you know, somebody with some drive and some spring in their step. A desire for greatness, not mediocrity. I mean, you know. But how about it? Are we giving our most or are we willing to coast? Most Christians today are modeling their life out of the idea of coasting. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And that's really all that matters. So I'm not going to worry that much about putting myself out there. In fact, when I try to give my most, that's when I become a target of the enemy. That's when I become the target of the complaints. That's when I become the target of the critics. There's a call to greatness in the Word of God. There's a call to greatness. Here's the thing. If you are shining because of your greatness, it's a sad thing. Those shining should not be, or those that are aspiring for greatness should not be shining. They should be just fitting in with the crowd, right? If you've got a, a baseball field and there's only one player out there with lots of energy, there's a problem. If you've got a soccer or a basketball or whatever it might be and you've only got one player that has a lot of energy and that's out there just giving it everything they have, there's a problem. Oh, what could be done if, if the members of our church in both congregations in both campuses hey, absolutely would be so in, in, indwelt and over, overrun with the passion not only of the love of God but the love of the church and the love of the membership and the love of the brothers and sisters to saying we believe that we can literally conquer hell with our water pistols drawn. You see, that's passion. One more thing, very quickly. Our passion, our fuel, our fire, it is ignited by a common advocate. The, 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 fa the, the flames are fanned by a common spirit, inspired by a common spirit. But number three, and very important, our passion, our love for one another, our, uh, the very love of God within us and the, and the fire that comes from that is extinguished by a common enemy. It is extinguished by a common enemy. The enemy does not want us to shine. The enemy does not want us to be passionate. The enemy can do nothing about our eternal destiny. He cannot change where you and I are going. If that makes sense, say amen. In other words, I am saved. I am eternally saved. I'm going to be as much saved now as I've ever been. I mean, you can't take that away from me, devil. So what does he want to do? He wants to steal our enthusiasm. He wants to break our spirit. He wants to diminish our love for one another and the fire that's driving everything that we're doing. If you are a believer here this morning, I've got some news for you. We have a common enemy. I believe as an American, we have some common enemies. Terrorists are not our friends. Terrorists are not misunderstood immigrants. Terrorists hate us. and They want to kill us. They want to wipe us off the face of this planet. We have a common enemy simply because we are Christians. And we need to identify that enemy. He knows that if he can divide us, he can conquer us. Let me just say this. I'm thankful for the blessings of God these many years. I'm grateful for what God is doing now. But I realize that the sweeter things are and the stronger the fellowship and the, and the more uh, healthy the church is 
the more frequent and the more severe the attack of the enemy will be. Why? Because he wants to extinguish your fire. One last thing, and then I'll move to point three. If you're trying, now I want you somebody, this is a word from the Lord, I believe, I want you to get this. If you're really trying today, I mean you are giving it everything you've got. You're giving it 110%. You've put your heart and soul into serving the Lord. You are begging Him to, to, to broaden and strengthen and, and make your mission fields greater than ever before. I mean you are serious about your commitment with the Lord. You are going to be like that ball player out on the field who is recognized by the opposing coach as the top scorer. And he's going to put everything he can on you. The enemy might double team you. The enemy might triple team you. The enemy's going to put everything he can at you. I was at a ball game a few years ago. It was a soccer game. And I watched a player who was a good player, who was a passionate player, who gave everything he had every moment of the game. I watched the other team as they came out on the field and play after play after play. They were slide tackling. They were cutting his legs out of under him. They were doing everything they could to put him down. It made me angry. But then I realized that that opposing team knew that if they could just put that one player down, likely as not the whole team's ability to win would be very much limited. If you're going to be that person, if you're going to be that person to say, I am going to step forward. I am going to be in leadership and I am going to be the one uh, leading the charge. I want to be on the front lines. I promise you, the enemy is going to come against you in every way that he can to extinguish the fires of your revival. The enemy knows if he can break our koinonia, he's got us. If he can break our koinonia, he's got us. Number three and I'm done. There's patient love. There's passionate love. But there's also persistent love. Like the Energizer Bunny. Just keep going and going and going and going. Jesus was trapped once upon a time. Or at least they thought he was by a question. The law says that we have to forgive people seven times. But Jesus, we believe that you should forgive 70 times 7. And Jesus said literally, the very thought of limiting forgiveness by any number is preposterous. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. So what does persistent love look like? Number one, it's unmerited. Unmerited. I don't love somebody because they deserve my love. I don't deserve, I don't love someone because they've done something for me. Well, I better reciprocate that love back for them only to be nice. I don't find people that I like a lot and say, you know what, I think I'm going to love them because I just really like them. But I love people as Christ loved me. Unmerited, undeserved. When I look at someone as tempted as I am to say, I really don't like them and I don't think I want to love them. I look at them and then I take my eyes and turn them toward Calvary. And I realized he loved me so much. And I know me and there's not a thing within me that's worthy of his love. 
There's not a thing I could have done to merit it or to deserve it or earned his love, not even for one second. So if he loved me that way and he's commanded me to love them, I'm going to love them. And it's going to be an unmerited love. I'm going to love them in spite of them. Number two, persistent love is unconditional love. I make no boundaries. There are no fine print. I will love you so long as you don't do this and as long as you don't say this and as long as you don't. I'm going to love you as Christ loved me. Number three, it is going to be an unending love. Unending love. No expiration date. No parameters. I'm going to love the family of God. Aren't we thankful for the family of God? That early church, they loved one another. They worshiped with one another. They, they, they witnessed with one another. They served with one another. I'm thankful for the fellowship. I know I hound you a lot about, about trips and about events and about things going on in the church. And, and there's a reason. There's a reason why I want to take you to New York with me. I want you to see the miracles of what God's doing in a tiny uh, storefront. I want you to meet the people that are being baptized and saved and are turning their lives over to the Lord because of the faithfulness of this church, investing in the faithfulness of that church. But i got to be honest. I also want to take you about sunset to Grimaldi's, the best pizza place in Brooklyn. And I want to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge and I want to stop and point where the Twin Towers once were. And I want us to stand there and pray and thank God for his blessings and allowing us from a town of 250 to go to a town of 8 million and make a difference. Why? Because you're my brothers and you're my sisters and I just want you to experience that with me. I want to take you to a little village 5,500 miles away from here where the mules outnumber the cars 20 to 1. Sure, the bathroom's outside, but the spirit inside's mighty sweet. In fact, we say, I cannot believe they would go to the bathroom outside. And they look at us and say, can you believe they go to the bathroom right inside the house? They might got a point. I'm not sure. But I want to take you there. And I want you to stand in a church. And I want you to hear people proclaim the gospel in Romanian and sing the drafters. Because you're my brothers and you're my sisters. You see, that's all part about being the family of God. I want us to grow and reach more brothers and sisters. I want us to love on the people outside of the walls of the church that don't think anybody loves them. Remember, Jesus says, they'll know that you're mine because you love one another. I want people to, to know about this church that they're a loving congregation. And not just that they love God and love one another, but they love the people on the outside too. Just think about it, and I'm done. Of all the things Jesus could have said would be our spiritual marker, our spiritual DNA. He said it would be love. Love. Father, thank you for loving us and for giving us the ability to love one another. And God, I pray in this moment of invitation that you might speak to every heart and to every life your love would be demonstrated God, that we would realize you didn't just have a generic love for the masses, but you had a personal love for me. God, that you would reveal that love intimately right now to people in this room. And that, Lord, they would respond to that love, that invitation, oh God, to come. Father, that we would be inspired and challenged to love one another like never before. And that you would do a work in our midst simply because of whose we are 
we would be faithful to who we are. Minister to us and through us in this time of invitation, I pray in Jesus' sweet name. Amen and amen. Would you stand your feet all over the house of God as we sing this time of invitation, this song? Would you come? You know, on Tuesday, you might get you a little Valentine. Henry might, I don't know. You might. You're going to get an invitation. And the invitation is going to have two words on it. Those two words be mine. Be mine. This morning, maybe the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the co-creator of all the universe, would speak to your heart personally with those two words, be mine. But he'd never force himself on you. He never demanded of you. He'd simply invite you to himself. This morning, would you come? Responding to his invitation to be his. Maybe for church membership prayer around this altar, whatever it might be, would you come? Would you come?